Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another glorious day. We thank you for your freedom, for your grace. Uh, for your compassion and mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word and all that we can learn from it. And um, Lord, we ask that by your word and by your Holy Spirit uh, that we would uh, learn more about you, draw closer to you, uh, and um, live a life worthy of your calling. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So as a church, and also really even um, as a smaller church, just kind of being honest, there, there are limits to what ministries we can do or engage in. And I mean, all, all churches experience this um, just in that, you know, we don't have the, the, you know, we're not equipped or we don't have the staff or that kind of thing, right? Like we don't have a drug rehab program. You know, we, we don't have a, like a celebrate recovery. Uh, we don't have housing for seniors, uh, you know, very few missions trips that, that we organize, we don't have a soup kitchen, you know, that kind of thing. And um, which, incidentally, is one of the reasons why it's so valuable to be able to partner with other churches in our denomination, because collectively we can do this, right? We can get together with a bunch of other churches, say, hey, let's pool our resources, and then they can, you know, send out dozens of missionaries and, and start a college and, you know, handle finances and, and all this other kind of stuff, right? So today's passage is kind of like that, um, in that Jesus does a ministry that, that we don't do. And it's not so much because only Jesus did these things, it's just that, like, like we, don't, we don't do that. And, and I sometimes struggle with, with some of these because you see Jesus do amazing things, and you know that other people are, are doing these amazing ministries with like very visible fruit and helping people and setting them free, and, um, and so... Yeah, and it's just one of those things. We partly it's not like it's not a, like a structured part. Like this doesn't have a budget line. Um, but also, I'm just I'm not sure it's part of our, our culture. And um, so let me read the story to you, and then let's we'll talk about it. So we're working on a sermon series in Luke. Last week we finished up Luke 12. Uh, today we're in chapter 13, uh, and today's passage is in verse 10 to 21. And so let me uh, let me read this here to you. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. That's going to become like a hot-button topic here in just a minute. Um, Teaching on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But... The ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead him to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, 
And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And he, uh, again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So Luke begins by telling us this story about how this woman had this disabling spirit. Which right there is like, what do you mean by spirit, right? Because there is, like, we, so what do, you, what do you do with that? Um, and had for 18 years. And so, you know, one of the first questions is, are we dealing with something that's just entirely purely medical? Or is there some kind of demonic influence that's causing this? Right? And then later on, Jesus tells her, like, be free from your disability. And so that kind of suggests that it's just medical. But then he goes on and Jesus says that this was the daughter of Abraham, so that's going to mean that, that she's Jew or that, that she's an Israelite, and that she had bound by Satan. And so that kind of makes it sound like there was kind of some kind of demonic entity that, that was going on here. Um, and I'm just trusting that Jesus would know, so I'm just going to run with that. And frankly, it's not that uncommon because in, in the ministry of Jesus, you see both, right? Like in some cases, it was just purely medical and Jesus healed that. But then there's a couple other stories where someone had some kind of demonic influence and then it caused a medical problem. Like they were deaf or they were dumb or they were bent over or, or that kind of thing. And here's where I, I get frustrated and, and agitated and, 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 I, and just kind of with um, almost, well, yeah. Because here's the question, and that is that how many people in our community, in our county, in, in our town, or in our region, has some kind of like physical ailment or some kind of physical disability that is actually caused by some kind of demonic influence. Meaning, and here's, here's to me where I, this gets so sad, this, such a person will go to doctor after doctor. They, they will literally make themselves pain medical bills, make themselves poor, paying medical bills. They will suffer with this disease for the rest of their life. They will be in and out of hospitals. And they will never be healed because there was no one from a local church who knew how to handle this kind of thing and never said to that person, hey, that's kind of interesting. Can we pray about that? Like maybe just maybe there's something going on. Let's, let, let's pray about that. That person will never receive healing from a doctor. Ever. They will only be healed when one of you gets a little bit of training, reads some books, maybe gets mentored, and then says, hey, that's interesting, let's pray about that. This past summer we had a Bible study, right? Sunday school in the basement, we talked about spiritual authority. That was kind of the beginnings of something like this, but we didn't go near kind of this, this far. It's amusing, no, not amusing. It's fascinating to me to think that some of you are possibly gifted in this and you don't even know it yet. Like, like this, this could be your thing. How prevalent is this where you have some disease that's caused by some kind of demonic influence like what happened in here? I have no idea, honestly. I don't know if this is one in a thousand. I don't know if this is one in a million. I don't have stats like that. But it's happened in Scripture. It happens in Scripture a couple times. 
So it's got to be a thing. And even when I look back on my life, you know, when I, when, I, when I take this lens and I look back through all the people that I've met, there's a couple cases where I go, you know, I really kind of wonder. And, and, and could they have experienced freedom if, if someone had, had prayed with them and, and worked through this with them? And so prior to coming here, worked with missions and, and so got to see and hear and learn about other cultures and, and countries around the world. And it's very fascinating to me because some countries and some cultures will assume spiritual first, assume that the problem is spiritual first, and then if that doesn't work, then they look to the physical. But if you look like in North America or Canada or Europe, our culture assumes physical and then denies spiritual. So, like, we don't even have a lens or a, a framework to kind of understand and, and embrace this. And the sad part is that somewhere out there in the world, there are a group of people, and I have no idea how big, but there are people out there who will never experience healing or freedom because someone from a local church who, who knew what to look, look for never said, hey, let's pray about that. Then... We have the synagogue ruler. And this guy gets mad. And it's... He, like... He's mad that, that it happened on a Sabbath. And that completely boggles my mind. Right? Now, I do... I mean... Culturally, like, Sabbath was a much bigger deal for them. Right? I mean, so... You know, the Old Testament says, Hey, don't work on the Sabbath. So then what happened is that over time, spiritual leaders came up with a whole bunch of rules... To say, this is how you make sure that you don't work on the Sabbath. You, you know, and then they had detailed rules on cooking. And they had detailed rules on how far you could walk in a day, right? And so they came up with all these other secondary kind of man-made rules to make sure that you, that you never ever break this core rule of, of working on the Sabbath. And, and, like, so working on the Sabbath was hugely forbidden. We're kind of the opposite. Like, we assume someone works on a Sunday unless they tell us otherwise, right? Like, that's, like, that's just kind of our, our assumption. So, that said, his response just completely baffles me, right? Like, the guy just saw a miracle. A legit, 18-year-in-the-making miracle. And he should literally be in the corner screaming, just like, ah, I saw a miracle. Right? Like, he should be confused, or he should be bewildered, or shocked, or speechless, or babbling like an idiot, or something like that. And instead, this guy is mad. Because it happened on a Sabbath. And he even, and he acknowledges it. He's like, you know what? There's six days for miracles to happen. Come back on one of those days. Like, it's just the most mind-boggling thing to me. Imagine that, you know, after church, and, you know, someone's in a wheelchair, and they've been there for like 18 years, and afterwards, you know, one of you is like, hey, let's pray about that. And the person walks for the first time in 18 years, and then the guy next to you is like, um, lunchtime? I should be home? This is inconvenient. Really, this should have happened on another day of the week. I would prefer that people not walk during my lunchtime on a Sunday. The pot roast is cold. How cold does your heart have to be when you love your man-made rules more than people? Like, how callous would his heart have to be to respond with this kind of anger and frustration? When a crippled woman walks for the first time in 18 years. And then that's 
when Jesus gets mad. And I, I don't think we really understand like how livid he got. I mean, the text has an exclamation point, right? But I, I think he probably was pretty mad. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? They treated animals better than they treated people. And for Jesus, that was completely unacceptable. Now, it is kind of interesting. Uh, again, I don't know if interesting, maybe horrifying is the, the better word. To, to watch what happens on, the, on just like the national and, and the global level um, in, in our world today, right? If, if your worldview says there is no God, Okay, like if you like, there's no spiritual, there's no eternal, only the physical exists. You know, there is no God. If that is your worldview, then logically, to be to be honest to that worldview, then logically, you're forced to conclude two things. You're forced to conclude that that people are just another kind of over-evolved animal, meaning that animals and humans have the same value. But you're also forced to conclude that the planet is all we have and all we will ever have, and so the planet must be saved at all costs to keep it habitable for humans to save us as a species. Um, Elon Musk, fascinating guy, read his autobiography, no, a biography, um, you know, SpaceX, Tesla, PayPal, like he was in all of them. Um, but the, the thing driving his vision for SpaceX is that we need to populate Mars because Earth is going to be uninhabitable. And the thing driving his vision for Tesla was, you know, electric cars and save the planet and save the environment, right? Like he's, like, the man believes in no God, and so it's, like, we got to save Earth above all else. That said, I think Teslas are pretty cool cars, but that's a different topic, right? Like, anyways... And so you, you see this, this play out, and, and honestly, like, it, from their perspective, it, it does make sense, but you see this play out where just like a fierce extremism driven by environmentalism, and just where rules and animals and planet are equal to people are actually valued above people, which is true to their worldview if their worldview is no God. Me, but... We, on the other hand, have this completely opposite worldview, right? Where we say people are the pinnacle creation of God's creation story, right? And that people are loved and valued by God. And we care for animals. That's kind of good stewardship, but they have no soul. And so we use them for labor and we eat them for meals. They're quite tasty if you do it, right? You know? And so, and the planet, like this is just temporary dwelling, Right? Like, this is, we talked about this last week, right? That whole idea of this world is not my home. Like, this is just a temporary thing. Um, and eventually God's going to come back. And, and perhaps most shocking of all, this belief that there's a spiritual realm and that there's an eternal realm that is actually more real than the physical realm that we can see and touch with our hands and with our eyes. The, the story of Jesus here is this, this powerful reminder just to us and to us as a church to value and love people. 
to, to prioritize people, to extend grace and mercy to people, to act on behalf of people. I mean, look at Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. At least half of those are how you deal with people. Granted, I mean, our love for people is always subject to the love of the Lord. That's the, the greatest commandment, and the Bible is true. And so, But within that umbrella, Christ died for that person. Meaning Christ calls us to show compassion to that, that person. And I know it gets complicated. Oh, I've got stories. I know you've got stories, right? Like, we all have the stories of how it gets complicated. I get that. But today's passage doesn't talk about the times it gets complicated. It talks about valuing people, and especially valuing them above rules um, and traditions. So that's the first big idea in this text. Compassion for people, especially against the, this burden of legalism. But the second big idea is, is kingdom of God. And I, I included this next section um, because therefore. Verse 18, uh, he said, therefore. So somehow this story and what he says next are connected. Verse 18, he said, therefore. What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus used the example of the mustard seed. It was fascinating. Technically, the mustard seed isn't the smallest, nor does it grow into the biggest. But it was a common proverb in that culture. Like, this was a common saying that people would throw around. Small as a mustard seed. So he's actually using kind of this cultural proverb, this cultural context, to illustrate this point that the kingdom of God is going to start small. Oh, it's going to get big. Really, really big. And the, the comparisons between the two, right? I mean, it's um, in one you have a man who planted, and the second it's a woman who baked. And in the first, the growth is visible, and you can see it externally. And in the second, all the growth happens internally. And in and, and both within them, there's this, this power with, within, you know, to, to affect a change on, on all of its surroundings. And the kingdom of God is, is one of those things where it's, it's yes, now, but... Boy, it's coming in much bigger fashion later on. Like, we just kind of get a sampling of it now. And so there, there are times where the kingdom of God does feel small and powerless, but it will not always be so. And just like the, the mustard seed provides a haven for the birds and the yeast eventually impacts the entire loaf, so the kingdom of God eventually rules over all. And on earth, we, we get to experience a small sampling of that, Right? And, but when Christ comes again and establishes his new kingdom, it'll be amazing. But it is growing, and we still can see the impact of God's kingdom on earth. It, it's, so, it's so amazing. Jesus' ministry lasted about three years. Just three. Start his ministry was about 30. 33, he's crucified, dead, buried, raised again, right? So he's got three years. He's got 12 followers who he trained pretty thoroughly, but even at the end, they ran away. So, you know, their commitment seems marginal at best, you, uh, at least initially. 
He, he holds no polit Jesus holds no political office. He writes no books. He has no connections with political leaders of the day. He leads no army. He conducts no military actions. There's no coups, anything like that. He's not even liked by the other religious leaders, most of them, really. Basically, he travels, he teaches, he heals, and then he dies. And then he rises again, right? And, and, and that's it. And his, and his followers are noted as being unimportant, uneducated, unschooled, ordinary men. So that's how things start off. Aristotle died in 322 BC. Right? Um, Napoleon, uh, another great leader, died in AD 1821. Uh, Joseph Stalin died in 1953. And uh, Mikhail Gorbachev actually just died on Tuesday of this week. Right? Well, how do we know all of that? Well, we know all of that because 2,000 years ago, a carpenter walked the earth, saved people, and now all of history measures their existence by his birth. All of history divided into two groups, B.C., before Christ, A.D., Adodomini, the year of, the, the year of our Lord. So how do we know that Napoleon died in 1821? Because in the year of our Lord, 1821, or 1,821 years after Jesus was born, is when Napoleon died. No matter how great you are, your life is always marked and measured by the life of Christ. Even empires mark their rise and their fall and their high points and their low points against the stable in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Jesus has literally become the hinge of history by which everything else is measured. San Francisco. Been there once. Not sure I'd recommend it, but... San Francisco is Spanish for St. Francis. It was founded uh, June 29, 1776. Colonists from Spain established uh, San Francisco at the Golden Gate Mission. Um, and it was named for St. Francis of Assisi, just a few miles away. San Francisco got its name because a man was impacted by Jesus and dedicated his life to him, and then some people named a town after that man. San Jose, same story, named for St. Joseph, patron saints of pioneers and travelers um, along the river. San Jose gets its name because a man was impacted Jesus and, by, and dedicated his life to him. There are more, but we don't have time this morning. But you cannot open up a map without acknowledging the impact of the kingdom of God on people's lives. Because you've got all these saints that towns got named for. Christmas, birth of Jesus, largest, most celebrated holiday on earth. Easter, also pretty big holiday on earth. Valentine's Day, we love that one, but it's also named after St. Valentine, who is a 3rd century Roman saint. And there are more, we don't have time, but you cannot celebrate holidays without seeing the impact of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Some of you remember the old movie, um, It's a Wonderful Life, right? And the main character, forget his name, you know, like there's, part of the story is him living his life, and then part of him, he gets to see what the world would be like without him. Imagine our world with no Notre Dame, no St. Paul's Cathedral, no St. Peter's Basilica, not, like not even Vatican City, uh, small churches scattered across the countryside. No Peter, no Paul, no New Testament, no Augustus, no Aquinas, no Francis of Assisi, no Mother Teresa, no Martin Luther King, no Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
No Joan of Arc, no John Milton, John Wesley, John Calvin. No Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, Isaac Newton, George Washington, George Washington Carver, Florence Nightingale, no Pascal. Every single one of these people loved the Lord dearly and dedicated their life to him. The, the last group, scientists who made massive impacts in the scientific community. There was a study done by a secular university, I think it was in Australia, they wanted to know why do we value humility today when there was an era where the Romans valued seeking your own glory and your own, cult, and your own elevation, and their conclusion was a flurry of writing in the first century in and around the, the Middle East tied to Jesus Christ that completely changed how the world viewed humility because if someone so great could die on the cross, which was the lowest, most horrible thing ever, and then to see it valued by everyone else. I mean, this secular university literally concluded, and there's a book on it, I think it's called Humilitas, that, that Jesus literally changed how the world views humility versus pride and glory, and how he actually inverted those two so that now we value humility and view with the same people who are proud and arrogant, where it used to be the opposite. 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities were started by followers of Jesus. Entire people groups in this world have a written language because missionaries came in, they knew they needed the gospel, they learned the local language, and then they, they created a written language from scratch so they could translate the Bible and give them the scriptures. And so there are entire people groups who owe their salvation to the work of a few linguists who hung in there and dug it out for a few decades, creating a written language just for that one people group. Written language exists because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Art. I mean, Sistine Chapel and painting of the Last Supper. They're, like, Jesus is all over in art. I once heard the story of one gal, totally atheistic, had never heard of Jesus. Art major was like, who is this Jesus guy and why does he keep popping up in art throughout like all the centuries and all these spots all over the world? Like, who is this guy? And so she looked into it. And now she's a Christ follower because of art. I mean, I like art, but like, come on, that's an amazing story. Music. Bach signed all of his works to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Of course, medicine. People used to just be thrown out with the dead and the dying, but small groups of churches would take them in, show compassion. St. Benedict basically was the first hospital, 4th century. By 6th century, most monasteries had hospitals attached to them. And now all over, we have hospitals like St. Jude and St. Anthony's and Good Samaritans and whatever. And now we have over 700 hospitals just in the U.S. who are directly owned by religious institutions. Human rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their creator with certain rights. People never considered humans equal until Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That's, that phrase rocked the, 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 the world back then. The kingdom of God has already had a huge impact in our world, and this is just the beginning. It's like Jesus hasn't even come back yet. Jesus heals one woman on the Sabbath. Then he gets mad because the local synagogue ruler did not value people. He valued his rules. 
And then Jesus goes on to give these examples of the kingdom of God starting small and growing huge and impacting all, all around it. Impacting all around it. But in the beginning, it appears small, like healing a singular woman in a synagogue that doesn't even get named. We don't know her name. We don't know which synagogue. We don't know where any of this took place. But it's stuff like that that, that is the beginnings. It appears small. And that should give us incredible, incredible motivation when it comes to small or singular acts of compassion that value people. God's kingdom is here. It's now. It is growing. But we will get to see the fullness of it when Jesus returns. But until then, we value people because Jesus says that that is connected to his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word, even the parts that are sometimes hard to wrestle with. And Lord, we thank you for these stories and your truth. And Lord, what a privilege to see your kingdom grow, to be a part of your kingdom growing. God, I pray that we would be found faithful in small, singular acts of compassion that value people. And in doing so, we would see your kingdom grow even more. May we be found faithful for all that you entrusted into our care. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.